So let's say a client asks for something that is out of scope. Instead of saying, yes, we'll do that, or no, we won't, instead ask a question. These are the seven magic words to stop scope creep. Those are, would you like an estimate for that? Hmm. You're not saying, yes, we're going to do it for free. You're not saying, no, we won't do it. You're continuing the conversation. You're making it a dialogue rather than just a definitive yes or no. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the High Level Spotlight Sessions, where we showcase awesome marketers doing awesome marketing. Today, I am joined by Carl Sakis. He is the founder of Sakis & Company. Um, he's a consultant, a coach, and a trainer who helps agencies grow more profitably without having to go through the usual growing pains. Carl, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, Chase. Glad to be here. From one former um, operations manager to another operations uh, you know, expert, I I'm really excited to chat with you today about what we've got lined up. I think a lot of times we, we spend time talking about prospecting and sales and, and scaling, um, but we don't talk a ton about the really hard stuff, which is client management. And so, you know, when we outlined what we're going to talk about today, I was really excited because I, you know, I know a lot of these pain points all too well. And a lot of them, you can't really understand how to do it better until you've done it. And so that's a painful process to have to go through. So hopefully today you learned some things that'll keep you from having to go through some of this pain. Um, Carl, the first one that we're going to talk about is scope creep. Yes. Happens all the time, right? Especially like if you're doing websites for clients and things like that. Hey, I know that we talked about this, but do you guys think that you could just do this for us as well? It's very tempting to say yes, right? Especially if you know, you're just getting started, you don't have a ton of clients. Carl, how do you help people handle that, prepare for that situation? Well, start by recognizing that scope creep is a normal part of agency life. Hmm. And in fact, if a client wants more, I mean, that's a good sign. It, it means they might be open to spending more money with your agency. So scope creep is not inherently bad, but unmanaged scope creep becomes a problem. That is, if you're not getting paid for the additional work or not intentionally choosing to navigate things. So, you know, the challenge is when you're in the moment, when a client is like, hey, could you also do such and such? What do you do, right? You're on the spot. You want to keep the client happy. You want to keep them as a client. Maybe you're doing an initial project and you want to upsell them to a retainer. Maybe they're already on a retainer, but you want to grow the retainer or, or at least renew the retainer. So you don't want to make them unhappy, but you also ideally don't want to give away free work. So that hurts your bottom line. So what do you do? You know, I've worked with hundreds of clients over the years in my agency consulting work and as an agency project manager director of client services and director of operations. And I've identified seven magic words to stop scope creep. Uh, okay. Would you hear those seven magic words? Oh, absolutely. I love it. So let's say a client asks for something that is out of scope. Instead of saying, yes, we'll do that, or no, we won't. Instead, ask a question. These are the seven magic words to stop scope creep. Those are, would you like an estimate for that? you're not saying, yes, we're going to do it for free. You're not saying, no, we won't do it. You're continuing the conversation. You're making it a dialogue rather than just a definitive yes or no. So, you know, I, I use this regularly in my work as a PM in, in the past. 
uh, where you know a client asks for something that's not included. So I could say something like, oh, oh yes, that, that sounds like a great idea. We'd love to help with that. Uh, you know, it's not part of the current scope, but we're glad to explore it. Would you like an estimate for that? Now, I love it. Th this has three potential outcomes. Sometimes clients will say, oh, it's extra. Oh, you know what? Never mind. Never mind. Totally. I can relate That's to that. Fine. That's, yeah. but they get it. They've indicated to you, I understand there are boundaries. Exactly. And, and the second potential answer might be the client saying, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I would like an estimate. Like I need to see what the details are, but you know, yes, I'd like an estimate. In both of those cases, the client is acknowledging that it is out of scope, and they're acknowledging that it's extra. If they say no, never mind on the estimate, okay, they they don't. It's not worth it to explore. If they say yes, then you can explore it, uh, and then they can decide if it's worth it or not. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But either way, you're in good shape. In a small percentage of the time, a client might not react well to your asking, would you like an estimate for that? You know, they might say something like, wait, estimate? Like, I thought this is included. Why are you okay. saying this is extra kind of thing? And that's not a fun conversation to have, but it's far better to have that conversation now before you've done the work, while you have an opportunity to sort out, you know, what is included or not, or, you know, what kind of what was going on rather than you were doing the work and finding you're not going to get paid. So any of those responses work. Ideally, it's, oh, no, never mind. Or yeah, let me know. Um, or you have a chance to fix things. So would you like an estimate for that? I love it. And let me ask you if you'd agree with me on this one, based on my past experience, when it's yep. number three and you're in that painful zone. Yep. To me, you know, you make a judgment call. You may end up doing it, you may not, but it's a clear indication that your agreement your onboarding, whatever it was, wasn't clear enough. And it left that wiggle room for misinterpretation. So you need to go close that up for the next client. For sure. And there could be a few ways to do that. Uh, one thing I like doing is including a list of sales exclusions in the mm -hmm. final client agreement. Mm -hmm. you know, might be, Here are things we talked about as possibilities. They didn't make it into the final scope. Or if you're working on a time and materials basis, you could say, you know, we talked a lot of possibilities. These are not in our assumptions, mm. that kind of thing. And ideally, the client initials that in the paperwork right. to say, you know, yes, we originally wanted, you know, some something extremely expensive, but you know, it didn't happen once we heard about the number. So have the sales exclusions, have clients initial that it's you know not included in the plan. Uh, you also want to take a look at the handoff from sales to delivery. Uh, you could think of it as a baton handoff, you know, in a relay race. I'm working with a client on this. Uh, in the coming weeks where they've had a problem with that, where their sales team will say certain things. They don't always make it to the delivery team. The mm -hmm. delivery team is then dealing with the problems where the client's unhappy, which you can't blame the client for that if right. the agency promised something. As far as a client is concerned, anyone at the agency saying something is the word of the agency. So 100%. Working with yeah. them to smooth things out. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. Hey, I'm gonna call. Can you shut the door, please? Sorry, I had an intruder. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Um, shut the door, Noe, thanks. Okay, uh, so let me just jump so right back you, in. Yeah, well, and, and I think you were saying, you know, that yes was a, a good idea. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, I, yeah, I, so I think it was pretty self-contained. 
Absolutely. I think that makes complete sense. And I think, you know, hopefully this gets you thinking that, you know, your agreements, your processes should never be static. You should always be reevaluating them and improving them. Don't go through a painful lesson without turning it into an opportunity to improve. And I love the idea of spelling out like things this does not include, you know what I mean? Because if one person misinterprets it, you can guarantee another client will as well. So it's definitely important that you, you know, don't make the mistake twice. What about when a client makes a totally ridiculous request that you've, you know, never heard before? It's just like absurd. You can't even believe that they asked it. But again, you don't want to escalate the situation. Right. How are you dealing with something like that? Well, I've developed a simple three-step framework for that. Simple yet powerful. I call it reason options choose. Okay. So over the years, I've worked with hundreds of clients, both ad agencies and in my work as an advisor to agencies. Mm -hmm. The three-step framework I call reason options choose. Here's how it works. And you can use this in any kind of difficult client negotiation and even negotiating with your team members about things. So Mm -hmm. a client requests something, maybe it's a ridiculous request, maybe it's out of scope, Uh, maybe they want things faster than is humanly possible. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, they wanted yesterday. Mm -hmm. You don't have a time machine, I would imagine, though if you do, that would be a really (laughs) great competitive advantage for your agent. (laughs) Right. Uh, you know, there, it's not going to work under what the client wants. But, you know, as we talked about earlier about the idea of, you know, scope creep handling that, uh, you know, client wants yes, you may want to say no, but, you know, no kind of stops things. So the way reason options choose works is this. You start by citing a reason. You might say, hey, we'd love to do that. Um, that's not in the current schedule, but then you're going to offer some solutions. Or you might say, hey, that, you know, that sounds like, uh, you know, an interesting idea. Uh, I know that's not part of the original strategy, like mm-hmm. some sort of a reason why you can't, you can't do it. Um, I was speaking with a client recently where they do weekly meetings with one of their clients and the client contact who appears to be not very competent wants daily meetings. Mm something the agency does with no other client. Yeah, Yeah. and you know, what do you do? Well, in that case, they could say, you know, the original scope, in this case, it was a fixed scope arrangement. The original scope assumed weekly meetings, which is, you know, what we've done with other clients and with your company in in the past. So you start Mm -hmm. by citing a reason. Then you give the client two or three options. So let's say it's a case where a client is asking for something you know, they want two things done at the same time. You could say, you know, hey, we've already scheduled things based on what you shared before, but we have some options here. Mm-hmm. You know, first option might be uh, we can complete, you know, the original thing first and then move to this other thing. That could be an option. Option two could be we could flip it. We could do this new thing first and then push the earlier request later. Or the third option might be something like we can bring in additional resources to get it done. There would be some additional expense to that. Would you like an estimate on that? (laughs) The key thing is that the client, and then now you let the client choose. So reason, you cite a reason, you give them two to three options, handpicked by you, and you let them choose. So in that case, the client might say, oh, well, you know what? Let's stick with the original order. Or they might say, yeah, let's get this new thing in first. I'm I'm okay that the other one's going to take a bit longer. Or they might say, yeah, it really is important we get this done. Like, let me know as soon as possible what the extra amount would be. (laughs) 
The key thing is that any of those options are a profitable solution for your agency because you have handpicked, handcrafted those options. And now the client is choosing from the options that you create it. Yeah, yeah, I love it. And thinking back, you know, to conversations that I've had, the first part, the reason, if you're struggling with that, what I used to always do was to try to flip it back and make it relatable to them. So if I'm an agency that works with plumbers and I get a request like, oh, I want daily meetings, I'm going to say, you know, just as I can imagine it'd be tough for you to like go check on the job every day after you completed it, like, you know, it, it's not really manageable for us either, but we do have these other options, right? And the yeah. same thing with like, you know, well, you know, if we did that for every client, we'd quickly be out of business as I'm sure you could imagine. So let's talk about options from here. Yeah. And I think you, you made a really important point, which is, you know, have some sort of um, additional resources figured prepared in case of emergency. Yes. Right. So you, you do want to, you never want to say that's impossible because it makes, you know, it, you know, right. that has some negative connotations to it. Hey, we can pull in re additional resources. Um, would you like an estimate for that or a quote for that? I love it, but don't shoot yourself in the foot. Be realistic about what it would actually cost you to get that thing done in the time frame or whatever it is the request is. Right. I, as a director of client services at an agency, I had a client who ran an e-commerce site and we had built the site, we were doing hosting for the site. Uh, and whenever he requested something from us, he said, yeah, I think it'll take you guys like an hour. Right. And I would come back and say, well, actually we've evaluated it. Uh, you know, it, it would be basically scoping it based on eight hours. It would be eight hours, you know, mm -hmm. or, or, or what have you. And he, he did not like that. He's like, well, I could do it myself faster. And I'm thinking, well- I love that one. Maybe you could, but you're not, and I don't think you could. But you know, <laughs> why are you asking us? Um, yeah, uh, he was he was a colorful character. Um, but you'd also asked about example. What if a client requests something that's totally ridiculous? How do right. you use that with reason options choose? So um, you know, I, I share some examples about reason options choose scenarios in my agency PM 101 course. I had a scenario that that came up several years ago. Uh, where I was getting an audience volunteer when I was doing an in-person presentation to play a difficult client. And then I was using reason options choose to illustrate how it worked. I was the hapless agency account manager in, in that scenario. Yeah. And so the client said, yeah, um, you know, you're working on our website. Um, I want it so that when people get to the homepage, bubbles are floating around the page. And you can, when you move your mouse, you can kind of bat them around and you can click on the bubbles to pop the bubbles. And this will be great for our law firm's website. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I, I went from there and, and I was asked like, oh, well, you know, tell me more about the bubbles idea. And she was like, we wanted to stand out. And I'm like, yeah, I, you know, I circulated your idea to, to my team and, and they all agree your website would stand out, <laughs> uh, you know, and things like that. Um, in that case, if they have a totally ridiculous idea, one way to do that would be to stall effectively and say, you know, there may be some challenges on implementation. Um, why don't we do a meeting with our strategist to sit down and talk through ways to make things stand out? That gives you some time to work with your team to figure out how to deal with the ridiculous request. Mm. Uh, sometimes things might cool off a bit and you have a chance to deal with the bubble request. Now, here's the thing. 
I asked the volunteer from the audience afterwards, as she, she was an agency account manager, I was like, how did you come up with the bubbles thing? That was really random. She said, I didn't make that up. That happened last week. <laughs> no, we've been there. I've been there. I, you know, yeah. some ridiculous stuff. And, you know, let, let me see if you agree with, with this premise um, or this idea. Because yeah. I think if you're early in your agency journey, Sometimes it can be hard to confidently come up with reasons or defend things that come completely out of left field. Like somebody telling you, if I had more time, I could code that up in an hour. Uh -huh. And you're just kind of take the first time you hear that, you're like, you're taking it back. And you and you you want to be like, yeah. that's absurd. You're a plumber, sir. Like, you know, but of course you don't want to say that. And so yeah. I always encourage people to think about those types of scenarios and come up with you know, things that they can fall back on with like, well, you know, I'd be happy to put you in touch with some colleagues and you could compare rates to see that, you know, that's not realistic or, or that is actually the price of things or this or that. And at some point, you know, you're just dealing with a bad client. So it's like, you know, if you, if you can really find somebody for, to do it at the level that will do it for that price, then you might want to, you know, explore that option. But these are things that come with experience, right? And to some extent, you can cite your experience. Like most people running agencies, even if your agency is newer as a business, you had some prior experience before you got started. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so you can cite things like best practices, industry standards, things like that. I mean, going back to the plumber example, um, you know, I live in North Carolina now, previously lived in New Jersey. Uh, with my house in New Jersey, the plumber I worked with uh, had a ton of experience. I think he was at this point, I guess maybe in his 80s, he had installed my grandparents' radiators in the 1950s. Wow. Like, I think he'd probably been an apprentice at that point. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's like he had been there, done that. Uh, when it was time to replace my water heater after the old one died, he did have an assistant help him get that up and down the stairs. But, you know, <laughs> it, 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 it's great working with people who know their stuff. And, right. and so, you know, for anyone listening, your clients have reached out to you because of your expertise. Even when you get a ridiculous request, you know what the nice thing about the, that ridiculous request is they see you as the expert to help them deal with that. That's a good thing. They're going to you yeah. rather than to someone else. Your expertise though, in part is not just the technical work, the marketing work, the design work, it's also helping clients understand, you know, what is it that they need rather than just what do they want, uh, what's going to solve their business problems. Yeah, like the bubbles thing. Like I would always go into situations like that. It was like, well, you know, when we first talked, you, you told us that your goal was more sales, right? And so while this bubble idea is interesting, um, our team doesn't really feel like it's going to directly lead to more sales. So let's focus on stuff like that, you know, and it usually blows yeah. right over because they're like, you're right, you're the expert. Um, one thing right over like a, a group of bubbles. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, one other point on this that I, I would like yeah. to get out there because I think it'll help people and you can let me know if you agree or not is this can be a real problem for creative projects, right? Because design is completely subjective. Yep. And the, in my experience, after having done hundreds, overseen hundreds of website projects, what helped me the most was to start things off by having them review a portfolio. Because what you're eventually saying is, you made the decision based on my portfolio, 
you determined I was, you know, experienced enough, have the expertise to get you something that you liked. And that protects you when they come back with off the wall things like, yeah, well, I know I approved, you know, the homepage and the first inner page, but you know what? This whole thing is terrible. My daughter could do a better job than this. And I've been there and it's just like, you already approved. Like, well, how do we get this far? And now you're this upset. Also, the daughter could do, is she looking for an internship? <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's great. I love it. I mean, things like that, you know, can help you get out, diffuse a tight situation as well. But I've always felt having that first step of like, hey, we're entering into a creative process here, which is completely subjective. So it's important that we establish this like baseline based on my portfolio yes. so that you can't later come back and say like, well, you're just terrible, right? Right. A, a related piece includes, you know, most agencies doing design work will ask uh, as part of a pre-scoping or pre-kickoff, and I think you can really expand pre-kickoff questions even more, but mm -hmm. you know, what are some examples of websites you like or logos you like, or whatever it is you're designing. Great point. And importantly, what do you like about them? And ideally, what are some you don't like? To try to get a sense of the client's taste. Mm -hmm. that, you need, that helps you understand what you need to adjust from there. I love that because I've literally been in situations where you go back to that and you're like, well, you're asking for this. And we don't see that in any of the three examples you provided as sites that you love. So right. this seems to be kind of out of left field. And then you kind of go from there, you know? At one point, I was at an agency where a client came to us. I, I was unfortunately not involved in the sales process. But the client mm -hmm. had basically said, uh, we want you to build us a version of Facebook for sports fans. I love these types of... <laughs> Yeah, so <laughs> our salesperson initially quoted $100,000, hmm. which, you know, I mean, compared to how much Facebook has spent, you know, a little seems like a lot of money, but realistically, that is nowhere near what yeah, Facebook's been. Yeah, but, but it's like we could have worked with that. Um, yeah. The client, um, I, I guess our salesperson hadn't heard about reason options choose, and the salesperson unfortunately agreed to reduced the scope a little bit, but not enough, mm -hmm. and sold the whole project fixed scope for $30,000 mm. without much of a scope reduction. And so unfortunately, uh, in the end, you know, as fixed scopes, we were on the hook to deliver. Uh, I ended up moving to another agency midway through the project. The friend who took over as PM said, yeah, in the end, that $30,000 project was like $45,000 of work. Yeah. And that's what you really want to avoid. So creative projects can be tough. You really want to, if you're, if you're young in that field, I would definitely suggest talking to as many people like Carl as you can, try to get as much, um, you know, leverage as much experience around you as you can to prepare yourself for things that can end up, that can be a really sticky situation. Absolutely. Uh, that can cost you a lot. So Carl, yeah, talk to I, me I about- from, from others' experiences and others' mistakes mm -hmm. when possible. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, oftentimes as I speak with, you know, with students, they're like, I want to start my own business. And then that, of course, is great. And they, they may have something running already. If so, you know, learn from that. Um, but if they're, you know, say preparing to graduate, they want to start their own business. One of my suggestions is work for a business or two first, mm -hmm. see what they do well, see what they don't do well. It's always better to learn from others' mistakes rather than your own. For sure. You'll make plenty of your own mistakes later, but absolutely. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, so Carl, I, I, I want to, the third thing I want to talk to you about is, um, I know you help a lot of folks with this. And again, if you're younger in your agency journey here, um, a lot of times you're doing a lot of the doing, right? You might be selling and sort of executing or on your own. And, you know, again, to get past 5k a month and 10k a month, you really start having to delegate. And so how do you build a team around you that's prepared for all this kind of stuff? So your agency, as you grow, is going to go through different transition points. But one of the things that is unique, regardless of your agency size, is that every role at your agency fits into one of six categories. Hmm. Now, you might be in more than one category at once, uh, but consider, here are the six categories. And you can think about, as I share these, which of these are you doing now? And which of these do you want to delegate out to someone else? Mm -hmm. So here, here are the six. We've got account management. That's keep the clients happy and typically sell them more work. We've got project management, which is get the work done smoothly and profitably. We've got subject matter experts, your SMEs. That's depending on your agency's focus, could be design, development, writing, analysis, uh, basically, the craft of what your agency does, you know, the SME's job, the subject matter experts, is to do that craft all day long, ideally. You've also got strategists. Now, strategists are like a super SME. They're a bit subject matter expert, a bit account manager. Mm -hmm. The strategist's job is to maximize the ROI of the client's budget. So mm, say that's an interesting has, way to think about that. I like that. Yeah. So like, say the client has a budget of 2000 a month or 20,000 a month or 200,000 a month, whatever their budget is, the strategist is saying, based on this budget, based on the client's goals, here are how we should allocate that budget to get their best results. Yep. That's the strategist's job. Two more categories, we've got AM, PM, SME, strategist. We've got biz dev, which is really three things, marketing, so one to many to get leads in the door, sales, working one-on-one -on -one with prospective clients, and finally, partnerships, mm -hmm. partnerships with software firms, with other agencies, with consultants in your industry focus or focuses, uh, people that you might refer business back and forth to. Mm -hmm. That's biz dev, so part, you know, marketing, sales, and partnerships. And the final category, I call that support. That's about operations and about leadership. That's keeping your agency running smoothly on both a short-term operations and long-term leadership basis. So as I've been sharing about those, account management, project management, subject matter expert, strategist, biz dev, and support, think about which are the ones you're doing now mm -hmm. and which are the ones you want to get off your plate. For most agencies, for most agency owners, I, I agree, Chase, everyone is doing everything at the beginning. Sure. The thing that most people choose to outsource first is the subject matter expert work. You know, if you've started your agency as a developer, you probably don't want to be, you know, running site backups for the rest of your life uh, or making site updates or, you know, th this and that. Uh, you know, or if you are initially a designer, you probably don't want to be the one doing all of the production design edits to the client's sales collateral or things like that. So SME work tends to be the easiest to outsource in part because you can often hire freelancers so they can help on an on-demand basis. Uh, and importantly, you continue being the client-facing person. 
The second mm -hmm. thing that I see people tend to delegate is project management. Mm -hmm. PMs at a smaller agency will be client facing, but primarily they are working internally with the team that is potentially behind the scenes or partially behind the scenes. You know, that's the next thing. Uh, the third thing I'll see people outsource is account management, uh, bringing in someone else as the day to day client contact. So maybe as the owner, you continue doing strategy, maybe eventually only high level strategy for your biggest clients, but you keep doing that. Uh, before you eventually hire a strategist and probably you'll continue doing some aspect of biz dev and certainly the leadership aspect of support well i gotta say that is probably the most buttoned up org chart i've ever seen broken out and okay. <laughs> thinking back i mean i have one question for you like where yeah. would you say hr type of stuff fits in like on the support that would fit into the operations piece of, of support. Okay, gotcha. So I think it, it's very true to my experience. And if you are early on, yeah. take what he said and put it in a chart and build towards it, right? And, and like he said, it's important. Know that you're wearing multiple hats. You are currently functioning as many of those things. And I think you'll find, you know, the nuance in it is you might you might get a great um, account manager who's capable of strategy and you could grow very long until you need to split those things out or you Absolutely. may never split them out, right? Maybe they become the strategist and they don't do account management anymore. Yeah. Um, project management, I think, is a, is a role that a lot of people don't think about or, or realize that it, it, you will need one of them, right? At a certain point, Yes. You can't be QAing everything yourself. It's like someone needs to be able to right. get these things far enough along until, you know, they go to the account manager or whatever for final approval. Yes. Um, I think it's very thought through and it's, it, it's gold. I mean, this is a golden nugget, right? If you're, if you're struggling or just starting to try to plan on who to hire next and where they're going to fit, that is a very clear, realistic way to break out an agency. Thank How you. long did it take you to come up with that? <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I've been working with agencies and in agencies for over a decade. And really, you know, if you go way back, I started as a freelance web designer in mm -hmm. high school back in the days of dial-up and IE3. Uh, so, I mean, in a sense, it's taken over 20 years. But for everyone listening, congrats, you don't have to take 20 years to figure <laughs> that out. Let me ask you about one transition that I think is a tough one. Yeah. I feel like the founder, the CEO role, holds often holds on to the sales role for way longer, the sales piece of biz dev for way longer than they should. Right. How do you think about it? I mean, they, that's a tough transition to make, right? How do you, how do people like learn to let go of that? Well, start by looking at, do you want to continue doing sales? You know, mm -hmm. for some agency owners, they love sales. They don't want to do anything with delivery. They just want to focus on selling. And if that's your preference, and you've got other people to help out in the other areas, great. You know, you're, you're all set. Hmm. On the other I, hand, if you really dislike sales, then ideally you get that off, their, off your plate. It hmm. is hard to hire salespeople who are effective. You know, hmm. salespeople are often good at selling themselves, not necessarily selling your agency services. <laughs> yeah. I had a client a number of years ago. She said, I hired a salesperson, you know, a year and a half ago. And, uh, you know, he's not hitting his quota. And I said, oh, well, when did he stop hitting his quota? Answer, the whole time. He had never yeah. hit his quota. Yeah. 
it takes time to ramp up, but that was more than enough time. Uh, you know, so it, it's a challenge to outsource sales, but do consider you can chunk it out. Sales doesn't have to be solely a full stack role, right? Everything from prospecting through to qualifying, figuring out the consulting for the proposal, mm -hmm. negotiation, close, and handoff to your delivery team. For instance, you can outsource the initial qualification process. You know, so when someone reaches out to me, one of my team members is going through the initial qualifying steps. Mm -hmm. If someone is qualified, then I'm involved. Mm -hmm. So I'm not having to work through every single opportunity that comes in. That wasn't the case when I started my consulting practice. You know, initially I was, I was doing it all, but uh, do consider that uh, I, I have a lot of clients as they run their agency who's like, okay, look, I love being on the sales calls when someone's really qualified. Like, you know, I love helping them figure out potential solutions and all that. I just want to stop wasting time with people who aren't a good match. Yeah. Or I don't love creating proposals. Mm -hmm. Those are both delegatable, right? You could have someone go through initial screening questions. You're going to have to figure out those questions. They're not going to magically know what they are. But once you figure them out and you'll adapt over time, they can ask. Uh, if you don't love creating the proposal, well, I mean, I, for some of the services that I have, there is no proposal. Like either mm -hmm. people say yes after the initial call or they don't, you know, that's, that's fine. Um, but, you know, I can say to a team member, all right, here are the details and she'll put it together. Uh, I review it, right? It's not totally hands-off, but I'm not having to create it in the, in the first place. So consider if you're trying to get sales off your plate, what are the chunks to the sales process that you want to get rid of first? You don't have to do it all. It's not an all or nothing kind of situation. A couple other things that I loved in, in the way you broke that out. One, that you broke out strategist. I think a lot of people overlook that or don't think about that. And, you know, even if a lot of times we talk about, hey, you got to productize your services, right? You, you don't want to be reinventing the wheel every time. So you're like, why would I need a strategist if everything's set? There's always nuance, right? Every, yes. every business within a niche, like you said, oh, well, you're, how much money can you spend on ads? If it's a lot, great. Let's not just run Facebook ads. Let's break this into Google ads, some YouTube ads. And maybe, right. you know, maybe we test TikTok or something because they have a healthy budget. Yeah. If it's not so much, you need to be really careful about where you allocate that spend. And a strategist makes those types of decisions. So I think it's important to understand that that is a role that eventually, you know, that you need to be conscious of the fact if you are performing it or, yeah. you know, if you're ready to, to delegate it or if you want to delegate it. Um, but there are people out there that you could find that do it well, that can do it. Yeah. Uh, just and realizing that it is a role. It's a role and, and strategists tend to be expensive if you're mm -hmm. hiring a more qualified one. I, I was speaking with a client earlier today uh, where they've got a, a structure where there's the junior account person, the sort of mid-level person who's starting to get into strategy, and then the senior strategist. And they're, in their particular example, the mid-level person is getting 60 to 75,000. The senior person, depending, could be like 75 to 100,000. Mm -hmm. And depending on the work you're doing, if you're doing super custom work, the strategist is probably going to be involved in scoping things. You know, they need a lot of experience. I, I had a client who was tired of doing client strategy himself. He wanted to get rid of it. He's like, but, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't have anyone who could do it. 
Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, well, if you were to hire someone for the skill set you need, what do you think you would pay them? And he said, $150,000. I said, yeah, I think that's about right for the level of work you're doing. You know, very high-end kind of, kind of work. Mm -hmm. He's like, but it's $150,000. And I said, yeah, but you're paying yourself $300,000 a year. So you could hire someone to do that work and you don't have to do it anymore and you pay them $150,000 plus benefits, and you get to go off and do all the work you want to do. And also, meanwhile, that strategist is likely to be billing more than that. They're not going to be super profitable compared to a more junior employee. But if that strategist is coming up with great strategies to mm -hmm. optimize the client's ROI, they could be adding half a million dollars in extended profits, million or, or more. And it depends on your agency size, right? If you've just gotten started, you're probably not going to hire a dedicated strategist, but you could think ahead to the future. Is there a point you want to do that? Now is the time to start thinking about strategists as a separate role, even if you're wearing, say, an account manager hat, a PM hat, and a strategist hat. Think about documenting your processes. Like what, what, are, what data do you need to do your analysis to create the strategy? Write it down, you know? Yeah. So then you could have a junior strategist collect the data and do some initial validation on it before you look at it. And then eventually as you're training them up, they're doing more and more, uh, but it won't just magically happen. That's a great point because I think what a lot of people don't realize is a strategist does very interesting things, right? Like thinking back and examples I'm coming up with in my mind are, are like sales team closes a, a new client, right? They get excited about your standard package. Yeah. A strategist investigates the business, right? I'm going to the website. I'm looking to see what they sell and something might pop out at me as yeah. This is a unique opportunity because most of our clients don't sell this thing, but they do. And I know yeah. the margins on that are really high. So we're going to kick off the normal campaign first to you know, yeah. show them that we know what we're doing and we're going to get them what they want. But we need to pivot to this one because it will make yes. them a ton of money. And then I can sell them this or whatever. Right. And a strategist thinks two, three you know, moves down the line and is aware of all the nuances within the industry, the client, et cetera. And I don't think people think about that a lot. I, I wish more people did, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and, but you can always, you can always do better. Uh, that's one of the things I talk about in the agency PM, PM 101 course, you know, there's some things that seem obvious, but they aren't obvious initially. You know, yeah. I, I talk about some of the mistakes I've made over time. I, I talk about reason options choose about the six roles. I have a graphic to, visually represent that and the, mm -hmm. you know, so seven magic words to stop scope creep. Often you have to learn it the hard way, right? Yeah. You know, you, you do the work with a client, you get burned potentially or with a team member uh, and then you know not to do it again. And that often as you're hiring people, part of what you're paying for when you hire a more experienced person is they've made those mistakes at previous jobs. They're not gonna do it again. Like at one point as a PM, you know, mm -hmm. we launched a new client site and I realized a month later that uh, we had not reinstalled the Google Analytics tracking code. So they were missing mm -hmm. a month of data. Uh, on every launch after that, and, and also for my, you know, my own site, I'm asking about that a lot, just to make, okay, just to confirm, are we on track with the Google Analytics code? You know, so once you make the mistake, you ideally will never make it again. 
Mm -hmm. uh, and that's part of what you're paying for when you hire the more experienced person. Yeah, there's a lot of experience, especially, um, you know, profit, profitability numbers, like a, a strategist knows, you know, a good strategist may come into your organization and say, look, I get it. You're all about scaling. That's amazing. But you're not offering like GMB optimization as a service. Like it's very light um, from an HR perspective. It's very uh, profitable from this perspective. Like we should really consider adding this into the package somewhere or whatever. Things like that, um, a strategist is very good at. And I think one other point I wanted to make based on how you've broken things out is yeah. there needs to be really tight synergy between sales, strategy, operations. Um, yes. right? Because you, you pointed out a classic example where sales team sold something, operations teams going, what? I didn't know we sold that. Why would you sell that? We don't, we can't yeah. execute that, you know, yeah. but a strategist might have said, we need to execute that. We need to start selling that without getting the ops team on board. And so I think as you hand away hats, it's very important to focus on the synergy and making sure everything remains, everyone remains informed and on, on playbook, I would say, right? There is a, a book about that uh, that I often recommend to clients. It's called Meltdown, hmm. Why Our Systems Fail and What We Can Do About It. Uh, authors are Nick Clearfield and Tilsik, but if you just search for Meltdown book. Okay. Uh, and, you know, they look at various disaster situations, you know, what can we learn from it? Um, you know, thankfully, your agency is not going to be responsible for, you know, a nuclear meltdown most likely. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, there are some smaller examples. And so in the book Meltdown, they talk through, and in an ideal world, you reduce the complexity of the system. You know, complex systems are more likely to fail. Mm -hmm. So try to simplify it as much as possible, but there are limits, right? Say you're building a website, even a simple website is going to have hundreds of different tasks potentially along the way. Maybe sure. thousands, you know, more complex one. Uh, kind of thing. So reduce the complexity. The other thing, this is tying into those interconnections, is ideally find ways to avoid tight coupling. Tight coupling would be, for instance, the client sends you uh, an update. They're like, we want this email newsletter to go out today. Hmm. You hadn't known about it before. They suddenly told you about it. You're like, oh, great. All right. So you quickly scramble to get it loaded into the email marketing system uh, and you send it. And that's not a that's that that's a tightly coupled situation. You might mm. not have had enough QA involved, quality assurance. You might not have gotten enough client review back and forth. This and that. That's a recipe for disaster. On mm. the other hand, say you know you know a newsletter is going out. It's due a week or a few days in advance, something like that. You've got an internal process to QA. Maybe there's a client sign off. The client has to sign off by a particular point in advance for you to proceed to schedule it and things like that. Um, that would be loose coupling that tends to reduce the odds of something going wrong. On the mm -hmm. other hand, if you do have a rough situation, make sure you add additional layers. You know, maybe it's, say it's going faster than your usual turnaround time. You are willing to do it. You need two people to quality assure it instead of just one, something, something like that. Uh, so check out the book Meltdown that helps with those, thinking about those handoffs beyond specific examples. That's awesome. Carl, I, I don't want to keep you forever. I could talk about this stuff all day, but um, I really have enjoyed talking to you. It's amazing how much clarity you've brought to some very challenging, classically challenging areas of, you know, client management in itself is so challenging. 
Um, I think you told me that you have some free downloadables that people could check out. Um, obviously, I mean, first of all, what's your website if people are interested in your services? Where should they head? Yeah, so if you're interested in getting my help or if you'd like access to hundreds and hundreds of free articles and more, go to sakasandcompany.com. That's S as in Sam, A-K-A-S, A-N-D, the word company.com, sakasandcompany.com. You can find hundreds of articles there. You can get my newsletter for agency leaders, which more than one mm -hmm. agency leader has said this is one of the only emails they open every time. Nice. Uh, and actually, in an extreme case, an agency owner in Brazil posted uh, on LinkedIn, according to the Portuguese to English translator, uh, that whenever they get one of my emails, he gathers his business partners to discuss what are, what are we going to do about this at our agency. That's fantastic. I, I think I really hope that this interview helps you guys get out of sticky situations um, that you may have been struggling with or that you're not yet aware that you're going to struggle with if yes. you're just getting going. So Carl, thank you so much for coming by. Glad to be here. Good luck to everyone. It's, it's tough out there, but it's a lot easier when you can learn from resources like this to, to get it done. So good luck. All right. Thanks guys for watching. We'll see you in the next one.